Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco, or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Photo Taco. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me today. I know I'm really lucky that you're spending the time with me. If you like the podcast, will you please do me a favor and go give us a review in iTunes and also come join the Facebook group. It's really a great way to interact with other listeners and me and the other hosts of the Improved Photography Network. Go over to facebook.com slash groups, plural, slash photo taco, one word, and then join. ask to join the group and we'll let you in. It is a really fantastic resource. Okay, my name is Jeff Harmon and I am the hobbyist editor at improvephotography.com. And in this episode, I'm going to bravely tackle the topic of color spaces. I say bravely because I've been doing a ton of research on this and there's not consensus. There's not agreement on what color spaces mean. I think I have it down, but we'll see what people think as I release this episode. Um, The reason I wanted to talk color spaces today is because of something that Apple did with their latest refresh in October 2015 of their iMac lineup. They moved their uh, 21-inch iMac screen up to a 4K resolution, and they moved their 27-inch IMAX screens all up to 5K. There was a 5K available before this, but now all of the 27-inch screens are 5K displays. And there's a little note that was out there too uh, that Apple put out there that nobody seems to be talking about, but I find extremely interesting, and that's that they also added a different color space to these screens. So both the 21-inch 4K and the 27-inch 5K now have a color space that is called DCI-P3 rather than just sRGB. And I had never heard of DCI-P3 before. So I had to go figure it out. That's what I've been looking at. And that's what I want to share with you today. Before I get into the specifics of the color space, I wanted to reiterate my opinion that as of October 2015, when this podcast was recorded, There is not enough difference between WQHD, which is a 2560 by 1440 resolution, and WQXGA 2560 by 1600 resolution to 4K or 5K to make it worth spending any extra money on. I know that's kind of a controversial thing to say too, and it sure seems like intuitively when you have more pixels, more resolution you can show on the screen, it should look better, it should make a difference, but our testing has shown it doesn't yet. I'm not sure if it's because of the operating system or Adobe or where it's not work <clears throat> where it's not working, but it's not. It's not a big enough difference to spend any money on. All right, now let's talk color space. First off, does color space have anything to do with resolution? And the answer is no. It doesn't have anything to do with resolution. To add to this, color space, you know, I really don't think it should be compared like I often hear of, like paints of a painter or crayons in the crayon box or however you want to describe there being like more colors being available because there aren't and that's the controversial topic there are people who explain this so frequently as there being more colors and there really isn't because you end up when you go to write to a jpeg file there is a specific finite number of colors that can be represented in that JPEG color. 16.7 million colors is all that can go in there. You can't get any more than that. It doesn't matter what color space you have. 
when you create a JPEG file, you can only express 16.7 million colors in that JPEG file, period. <laughs> there's nothing else you can do. So there's not more colors. I would rather compare it instead to languages. It seems like a better way to try to describe this. When you look at an object in life, a real physical object, in English, you call it one thing. In Spanish, you call it another or French another or whatever languages. That changes how you talk about it. And that is more close to how color space works, I think, than colors on a, on a wheel or whatever else you might try to use to describe it. It's often the term is often used uh, to describe a color space and the differences between them as one being bigger than another. And, and that's a good way to say it, but it doesn't mean there's more colors. What it means is there is more separation between the colors. There is more, um, more ability to distinguish one color from another in a bigger color space. There's two common color spaces. There's sRGB and Adobe RGB. Those are the kind of the primary standards that are, are talked about in most things. And sRGB is ruling the world. It is the default color space for almost everything. With It would be something that's very exceptional to have it not be sRGB. To have it be Adobe RGB is so rare. That includes your display, like your monitor for your computer. It includes the screen on your laptop. It includes your iPhone, your iPad, your Galaxy Note, whatever kind of screen device you're talking about. Almost without exception, they are sRGB. It is also the way that printers work. Even the Pro Photo Labs, almost all of them at least default to sRGB if they only, and, and a lot of them will only offer sRGB. It is completely ruling the world. And that's exactly what Intel and HP set out to do in 1996 when they defined the color space. They wanted to make a color space that could act as a consistent way to talk about color across devices, across printing, across the internet. The internet was actually their primary target. They wanted a way to consistently talk about color, a, way, a language in a file format to talk about color that would be consistent. And Adobe RGB is a different way of describing those colors, a way where you can actually define colors as being different out in uh, areas that sRGB does not. But it's the same number, it's the same quantity, they're just they're spread out more, and that way you can define colors much better in real life Obviously, there's not really a color space in real life. We see a lot more colors than are expressed in these color spaces. So that's kind of roughly how it works. Should you shoot in Adobe RGB? If you have an, a monitor that can show Adobe RGB, maybe. <laughs> but, but I say no. <laughs> and, and it's for one reason. Yes, it might look a lot better on your monitor. And yes, you might be able to do a little bit better job photo editing if you have an, a display that is Adobe RGB and you shoot in Adobe RGB, you might be able to do a little better job of color balancing, uh, you know, white balance on the photo, or a little better job of emphasizing a color you want or controlling the vibrance a specific way or something like that. And But ultimately, you're gonna have to downgrade 
to the sRGB color space when you go to do anything else with the photo because almost nothing else shows or uses the Adobe RGB. Nothing speaks that language. Almost nothing. So if you're going to print yourself, maybe. Maybe it's worth it then. Maybe it's worth it to go Adobe RGB. And if you know you can print to a printer you've got that has the Adobe RGB color space, that might make a huge difference in your prints. But for the vast majority of us, it really, really won't. Okay, so what about then back to the Apple thing? They put this I or DCI-P3 color space into their monitors. What does that mean? Does that mean you might want to consider if you get this new iMac that you would shoot in Adobe RGB? Perhaps. It doesn't, it is bigger. The DCI-P3 is a color space that is used by movie studios. So that's kind of the difference. They have kind of gotten together. They always seem to do this. They, the video guys, they have a different standard than the photo guys or the still image guys. And they decided that this DCI-P3 is the color space that they want to use and standardize on film as they are film, not the physical film, but films in, in, in movie studios. And it's not the full size of Adobe RGB. It is a little bit smaller. It's 93% of Adobe RGB. So real close, but not quite 100% coverage on the size of the Adobe RGB space. So yeah, maybe you could try it. If you get one of these new iMacs, it might be worth an experiment. Go out and shoot something really colorful, really vibrant. Take it back. Make sure your camera's set to Adobe RGB color space. Take it back, put it up on the monitor, and see. Or try it on both. To shoot one of that, of that vibrant scene in Adobe RGB and another in sRGB. Take it home, look at the screen, see what it, see, see what it looks like. If, if it looks vastly different to you and, and you think you're going to do a better job of editing photos, awesome. That's great. For me, I don't want to have to deal with the down sampling from Adobe RGB to sRGB. I don't want to remember that. I don't want to have to deal with it. It's another thing to add to the workflow, and I want to keep that workflow simple. So even if I had this awesome new iMac that had this DCI P3 color space that's real close to Adobe RGB, I don't think I'd elect to use it. I think I'll keep it simple, and I would just do sRGB. All right, there you go. That's what my thoughts are on color space. Hope it makes a little bit of sense. I'm wondering how I'm going to get this uh, podcast received out there in the world, but we'll see how it goes. All right, I'd love to hear from you on this topic or any other of the episodes. I'd love to get some other show ideas from you. You can contact us, uh, the Photo Taco listeners Facebook group I already mentioned, also on Twitter, at Photo Taco. And uh, be sure to also check out the website, improvephotography.com. We've got tons of news, articles, other gear reviews. Um, there's lots of good resources out there that you're missing if you're not checking out that site. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!